Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, This would be a perfect time for children to be dismissed for Sunday school. So those children who are here, you can go off to Sunday school now and join Reverend Becca Bateman. Well, it's, we are making our way towards Christmas. This place looks utterly transformed. It's great to see artistic expression. Of course, next door this morning is the Christmas cantata. This might be a Sunday that you want to stay for worship for the next service at 1115 and hear the ensemble sing music of Christmas. Uh, great day in the life of the church. We listen now for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this text today is Mary, the mother Mary of Jesus, singing at the news that she is going to bear a child. It's often called the Magnificat, and it's set to great music by composers throughout the centuries. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And then Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, her cousin, about three months, and then returned home. Maybe you were paying attention this week to some of the the news items. One of the big stories this week was was the release publicly of a report by our government about torture the torture that our government participated in during and following the Iraq war in Afghanistan, following 9-11, created a lot of controversy within our own country and controversy around the world. And it underscores the fact that in times of war, sometimes some pretty nasty things take place. And we, even in our country, have participated in some of those things. But the good news is, sometimes, even in the midst of war, some pretty remarkable, some pretty extraordinary things happen, too. I don't know if you're aware of the fact that this year marks the 100th anniversary of what has come to be known as the Christmas Truce. It was 100 years ago 
that according to an article this week in the L.A. Times, written by Adam Hothschild, after five months of unparalleled industrial-scale slaughter, fighting on the Western Front came to a spontaneous halt. It was World War I. It was Christmas Day. And a Christmas truce broke out. In a letter from a general who was there on that day to his wife, General Congrave, he described what happened. The Christmas truce that took place in the trenches of World War I. Quote, There I found an extraordinary state of affairs this a.m. A German shouted out that they wanted a day's truce and would come out if a soldier on the other side did so. So very cautiously, one of our men lifted himself above the parapet and he saw a German doing the same thing. He went on to describe how the soldiers came out of the trenches that day They shared cigars, they shared cigarettes, they sang Christmas carols together in what's called no man's land between the trenches. And they even organized a soccer game where the men played soccer together. One day they're shooting at each other and the next day they're playing soccer and exchanging gifts and then they go back to shooting one another. Officers up to the rank of colonel greeted their counterparts on the opposite side. It was an unexpected outbreak of peace in the midst of war. The general described it to his wife this way. He said, my informant, one of our men, said he had had a fine day of it and had smoked a cigar with the best shot in the German army, then not more than 18 years old. They say he's killed more of our men than any 12 together. But now I know where he shoots from. And I hope we down him tomorrow. So it was short-lived truce. But one Christmas, 100 years ago, people actually laid down their weapons, climbed out of their trenches, and they celebrated peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. Now, this year, they're celebrating that 100th anniversary with a commemorative youth soccer game. It's uh, a tournament, actually. It's taking place in Belgium. And the countries that are participating in this tournament are Belgium, Britain, France, Austria, and Germany, commemorating the 100th anniversary of the Christmas truce. What if this season we all somehow climbed out of the trenches and the ruts that we use to protect ourselves? What if we approached family members this year a little differently, those with whom we have strained relationships, and declared a Christmas truce? What if we surprisingly and unexpectedly gave a gift to somebody at work who's not expecting it from us, with whom we are in trench warfare. 
What if we just laid down our weapons and declared peace for a day or a week or a month? What difference would that make in the outcome of things? Our story this morning of the Magnificat, where Mary is singing in Luke's gospel, is interesting. It is a song not only about Mary's situation, but about the reversal of all things. It's a freedom song, if you will. And Luke tells the story from a woman's perspective. I think often war is not written from a woman's perspective. The Matthew's gospel tells the story from Joseph's perspective. Mark doesn't include anything about the birth narrative in his gospel. So Luke is unique in this. In the New Testament, it's often women are referred to as the woman at the well. We don't even know her name. Or the woman caught in adultery. The writers seem to be less interested in their names, but not Luke. Luke tells the Christmas story from a woman's perspective. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his writing in the New Testament, he simply describes Jesus was born of a woman. That's all he says about it. But here in Luke, we have Mary, who not only has something to say, she has something to sing about. Mary's song has been set to the world's greatest music by the world's greatest composers. Mary, who was of low estate which means she was poor. It's just a euphemism for poverty. She not only sings a song, it's a solo aria about her destiny and the freedom that has come to her and to her people through the activity of God in her life. She sings for all those who, despite their circumstances, still believe that God will make a way where there just doesn't appear to be anywhere any way at all. Her sister, or excuse me, her cousin Elizabeth, who was with her, describes Mary this way. She says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So Mary has this unexpected encounter. She didn't have any more certainty than you and I do about what the future was going to hold or how things were going to turn out. She didn't know any more than those first soldiers knew on the Christmas truce what would happen if they climbed out of their trenches. In fact, she probably had more reason to worry because she had fewer options. Everything was at risk for Mary her relationships with her family, her engagement to her husband, Joseph, her standing in the community, her economic future, future, and even her life. Because in those days, a woman caught in adultery, stoning was a very real possibility. Mary's life was therefore on the brink of disaster with this news. Everything was at stake. Nothing was certain. And yet, Mary sings. 
She lifts her voice in song for what God was doing in her and was about to do through her. She sings. It's one of the reasons we sing at Christmas time. Mary knew that God was present and stirring within her, and the future was bright because God was present. With all her questions, with all her uncertainty, she goes along simply with the word that she'd received from the Lord, ready to fulfill whatever role God had chosen for her. And it all seems to be happening within her before it happens anywhere else in the world. And I think sometimes when God is active, when God is up to something, it begins within us before it begins anywhere else. One day, some years ago at an elementary school, all the dads were invited by the teacher to come and join their children, sons or daughters in the class. But reality was it was a busy time and a busy season, so a lot of dads were unable to make it to the class. So the teacher began by deciding, well, let's go around the room and we'll have the children identify what your fathers do for a living. So she began and the first child said, well, my father is a lawyer and the next child said, well, my father's a businessman and he's away on business today. And the third said, my father is a doctor and he was unable to make it today. And then it came to Tommy and Tommy, Tommy's dad was not a titan of business or in a professional role that garnered much respect. So Tommy stood up and he looked at his father and he wasn't quite sure what to say. And then he brightened up and he said, my father is here. And the fact that his father was here, all the social stratification just melted away. All of it just evaporated. Mary in the Christmas story is simply saying, my God is here. And all the rest doesn't matter. It, it becomes secondary. It's no longer crucial or critical. How I define myself, my God is here. And I lift my voice in song. I'm blessed. And the whole world holds no power over me anymore. And that means everything in terms of how we understand ourselves. When you know that your God is here in your life, present, active, speaking to you, encouraging you, lifting you up, guiding and directing you, it makes all the difference in the world. You don't know how things are going to turn out. Not everything is going to go according to your plan. You don't know how reality is going to be ordered into the future. Not everything works out as we want it to. But we can stop trying to simply satisfy ourselves in life. And we become part of something 
that's much greater than we are. We play a role in God's unfolding drama for human life. We become part of making things right, of standing up for justice. We become part of a grander and a more cosmic and historic plan to right what is wrong in the world, to repair what is broken, to know that God is here and that God loves you. Well, that leads to a song in your heart. Yesterday, I received in the mail, lots of mail in these days, Received a big package and it was intriguing to me, so I opened it and it was another fundraising appeal from what was formerly the John Stott Ministries. And uh, I opened it up and I looked through it. John Stott was a British pastor and a teacher, uh, renowned around the world. And in the packet, it had a little quote, which I thought was quite interesting and fascinating. When John Stott was 21 years old, he wrote to his father these words. I'm going to throw myself body and soul into the struggle for right. My desire is to see the world a better place and I will not spare myself. Now, many of those who this week have been marching in the nation's capital in Washington, D.C., and New York City, and other cities around the country, are seeking to stand up for what is right. They're seeking to claim that there's a better way. We should live better than this. Now, I wonder how many of them are truly willing to throw themselves, body and soul, into the struggle for right. John Stott did, had a huge impact around the world. Mary did, and it's had a huge impact throughout the world for thousands of years by simply responding to God's activity in her life. So what are you willing to throw yourself into? In this Advent season. What Christmas truths is possible in your life. In these days. What weapons might you lay down. In your strained relationships. At home and at work and maybe even here at church. Are you willing to let God's activity be born in you. Before it begins anywhere else. When we know that we matter to God, that God listens to us, that the Lord thinks about us day and night, that God treasures us, that we then feel deeply loved, profoundly and deeply full. It changes our lives. Our circumstances might not be different, but there's a song in our heart to sing. And it leads to some risk-taking, like those soldiers 100 years ago 
who climbed out into no man's land to worship, to sing Christmas carols together. May God lead you to some Christmas truce this season. And may God do something within your life that's never happened before, that surprises you, that's unexpected, and that leads to a song. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we do thank you that not only were you active thousands of years ago in the life of Mary and Elizabeth, in the story of Christmas that we're about to celebrate, but you were also active a hundred years ago in that trench warfare during World War I. And you are still active today. That you still desire to be loose in our lives in such a way that it leads to transformation. Dear God, help us to be open to you this season. Help us to receive you and begin in us to make the world right. For we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen.